listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. So from those first six verses, what stood out to you? Anybody? Go ahead. Yeah, you are familiar with all my ways. Yeah. What else? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. You have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. Yeah. What else? Yes, sir. Why is that comforting for you, Corey? He was saying, verse six is comforting because there are some things that we uh, that we can't know and that we want to be in control. And when we aren't, like Lane prayed, which is almost all of the time, uh, then we know that God is in control of all things. And so, verse six brings a lot of comfort. Yeah. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. He, Stuart. Uh, said deism says that God is there, but uninvolved, and this blows it apart. Yeah. Yeah, anybody else? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so Babin was talking about how there's a, um, a comparison with Psalm 8 from last week. So we have the transcendence of God, and we have the uh, eminence of God. He's way out there, huge, otherworldly, and he's incredibly intimate. Yeah. Seth, you about to say something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was saying he knows every single piece of who we are. Yeah. It's unmistakable how much he knows us. Yeah, no room for error. Yeah. He knows your every thought. When you look at verse number four, yeah, he knows the words that are coming out of your mouth before you even say them. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Hmm. Yeah, Robin said it's, it's, uh, it's comforting to know that he wants to share this with us. Um, and not, he's not just, he doesn't just know it and he's keeping it to himself. He lets us know that he's right there with us, right? Yeah, yeah. He loves us anyway. Yeah, that's true. Thank you, Paige. When we look at these, at these first six verses, and then we'll keep going, but I guess we could probably spend the next hour on the first six verses, right? Like there's just a lot here. 
so if you look at these first six verses, if you notice in verse number one, he says, O Lord, and again, we see the Lord there is in all caps. So here he's speaking to Yahweh, the one who is created and the one who is personal, the divine God, the only God there is, not just some deistic God, like you said, Stuart, who created and then just kind of left it to go. That's, that, that's not what the word of God says. He is right there with us along every step of the way. He says, O Yahweh, O Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. That word searched right there is actually, uh, it's taken from a mining term. And so it's getting into every tiny little facet of what's going on. If you were mining for gold, if you were to go in and you're like, oh man, I found some gold. Awesome. All right, now I'm done mining. No, you keep going and you keep looking for every single piece of gold that you can find. And here that word searched means he knows everything about you. There is not one stone that is left unturned. There is not one part of you that he does not know about perfectly. He knows you not just informationally, but he knows you intimately. Everything about you. Here's the big theological term that we use for that. And we'll have three theological terms this morning, and you're probably familiar with these. But the first one is omniscience. Everybody say omniscience. Good. So we see there the prefix on that is omni, which means all or all-encompassing or global. The second part of that word is science, which means to know, knowledge. So all knowledge. So the definition of that is God knows all things. God knows all things. So here's the, the nugget that we can take away with that definition is that he cannot learn anything. Isn't that wild? God cannot learn anything. There's nothing new, past, present, or even future that is going to surprise God. Not, nothing at all that you think, that you say, that you do, events in the world, not one person can bring any bit of information to God. Has it ever occurred to you, and I heard somebody ask this years ago, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? That's pretty wild. That, that's a concept right there. Nothing has ever occurred to God. He knows every part of your hurts, your discouragement, your disappointment, what you have done, what's been done to you, every thought, every feeling, every word, everything that's happening with you, he knows that. And, and like y'all said, there's a lot of comfort in that. He doesn't run away. He doesn't put his fingers in his ears. La, 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 I don't want to hear about that. I don't, no, 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 no. Nah. I'm God, leave me alone, I'm holy. I don't like bad stuff. I don't want to be around you when he's right there with us. He knows us intimately. Look at verse number four. Bobby, you mentioned this. Even before a word is on my tongue. And if you look, well, let's go back to verse number two. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. So it's, it's every part of who you are when you're sitting down, when you're resting, when you're rising up, when you're working. He says, uh, second half, verse two, you discern my thoughts from afar. Notice the contrast there. He knows your thoughts. He's in here even when he's afar. Even when he's so far away, he is still so intimate with you. It's all encompassing. Verse three, you search out my path and my lying down. In other words, where I'm going as I'm walking there, you know that path before I get there. And secondly, when I've stopped, you know that too. You are acquainted, the second half of verse three, you are acquainted with all my ways. And then we get to verse four. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. He knows what you're thinking about before you even think it. You can't tell God 
a secret. There, there are things in this room that you don't know about me. There are things in this room that I don't know about you. And there are things about you that I don't want to know. But God knows every single one of those. There is no secret that you can hold from him. Verse 5, it says, You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. In other words, he encircles you. My eight-year-old Kingston, uh, a lot of time, almost every single night when I tuck him into bed, he wants to be tucked in like a burrito. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? He doesn't just say tuck me in, but it's, I mean, it's a routine. And my 12-year-old's even got a crazier routine. But, uh, the, the, but Kingston, he, uh, he, you know, I've got to put his weighted blanket on him first. And then I've got to put the covers on, the sheet. Then I've got to put his comforter on. You, know? you would think we live in Antarctica. We don't. Like it's, it's 72 degrees in my house. But he just wants to be covered up. And then as soon as I get those things on, he'll lay like this. He'll say, can you tuck me in like a burrito, Dad? And I've got I've to you know, shove the covers all up under his arms and his legs. Okay, thanks. Now, when I go in there in the next morning, his head is at the foot of the bed. He's all twisted up. It doesn't matter, right? But at least for a few minutes when he goes to bed, he's tucked in. He's encircled. He is hemmed in. He is all there. And there's something comforting about that. Verse number five. Uh, sorry, verse number six. Such knowledge, the knowledge that we are hemmed in is too wonderful. It's too wonderful for me. We cannot even begin to fathom the extraordinary omniscience knowledge that God has of us. And while at the same time, for many of us, we're like, man, that brings great comfort. I would imagine in the past 10 minutes, since we've been looking at this, if you're like me, there's at least part of you that's like, yeah, this is great comfort and it's really scary. Anybody else there? Yeah, Ronnie, he's the only one. All right, the rest of y'all. Uh, but it's like, man, he, he has this thought hemmed in. He, he knows what happened behind me. He knows the decision I'm about to make. He knows my thoughts. He knows what I said to my wife. He knows the way I said that to my wife. He knows, eesh. And so our gut, our default, is not to say, oh, God, here's everything I'm struggling. Thank you so much that you know everything about me. There's comfort, but it's also scary because we actually want to take some of those things and go hide, right? So there's part of me, when I read this chapter, I'm like, man, this is, God is so awesome. As long as he doesn't know about this over here. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 7, it says this. Then the eyes of both, and this is talking about Adam and Eve, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They knew that they were naked. Now, God already knew it. He knew what was going to happen, but they realized it, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths because they understood that God knew them, and they wanted to hide themselves. And what Psalm 139 says, God knows anyway. Even when we go into hiding, even when we try to cover ourselves with fig leaves. And here's the good news. Philippians chapter 3 and verses 8 and 9 Paul says this, indeed, I count everything as loss. How much does he count as loss? Everything. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so we don't have to cover ourselves with 
with loincloths, with fig leaves. We don't have to go into hiding because we are covered in the righteousness of Christ. So we see here in Psalm chapter 139, God knows all of this stuff, good and bad, and the bad and what we think is good is covered with the righteousness of Christ. Here's the first thing I want you to see this morning. We're actually going to see seven things if you want to take notes. The first thing is this, is that in Christ, we can be fully known and fully loved. It's one thing to pick one or the other. I assume that if you truly love me, Michael Powell, it's because you don't fully know me. And if you fully knew me, my presumption is that you would not fully love me. But in Christ, because of his righteousness that we see on the cross, as Jesus bore our shame, our wrath, our guilt, our punishment, our separation from the Father there on the cross, when we look at the cross, what we see is ourselves. We are fully known in everything that we've done. Every punishment that we deserve is fully on display there. We're fully known and we're fully loved. That's just the first six verses. Let's pick up in verse number seven. I want us to read these verses together. So verses seven through 12. Let's read these together out loud and then we're gonna do the same thing. I'm gonna give you about two minutes to look at these and we're just gonna continue walking. Let's read these together out loud, church. <clears throat> where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. All right, take about two minutes, go through those six verses, see what stands out. See maybe where the Holy Spirit is going to tap you on the shoulder and say, this is what you need to hear this morning. I'll give you about two minutes.
verses 7 through 12. What stood out to you in those six verses? Anybody? Where shall I go from your spirit? Yeah, Bob. He said, whether I want to or not, you can't hide from God. Do you want a microphone? Can we wire Come on. I'm just kidding. No, that's good. Even in hell, God is there. Yeah. One more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Riley said he's always with us. Even in, in the good times, even in the bad times, he's right there with us. When we look at verse number seven, verse seven kind of sets up these verses. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Verse 7 says of this idea of omnipresence. Everybody say omnipresence. We see the prefix there again. Omni, all, we have presence. We know what that means. Christmas morning, right? I'm just kidding. Different kind of presence. Um, being with you, being there face to face. He is everywhere. So God is everywhere. Here's the truth to take away from that. You may feel lonely, but you are never alone. You may feel lonely, but you are never alone. And then he picks up in verse number eight, and he begins to explain this. Verse number eight, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there also. Heaven is the dwelling place of God. And so he begins there with kind of like this obvious, well, obviously God is in heaven. But then he goes to Sheol. In other words, this is the place where uh, the dead would go. And so he says, in life in heaven, you are there, even and for us who are believers, we would say, even in death, you are there also. For unbelievers, we would say, yes, in death, even in Sheol, even in hell, God is there also. God is everywhere. Then you believe verse number nine. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Now, put yourself for a moment uh, in Israel, all right? We're going to transport ourselves back to Israel. Notice here what he's saying is, uh, where does the sun rise in the morning? The sun rises in the east, and that's for all of the world, I'm pretty sure. Okay, so he says, when the sun rises in the east, there you are. And if you're in Israel, what does the sea represent? The opposite of east is west. He says, wherever I look, from where the sun rises to where the sun sets, over the, over the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, you are there. Everywhere, there is nowhere that you are not. From morning to dusk, verse 10, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So from morning to evening, dawn to dusk, he takes you by the hand. He promises to lead you. He promises to protect you. He promises to provide for you. Most importantly, he promises to be with you every single day. Whether you're alive or you're dead, he is there with you. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, we may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. 
He walks everywhere incognito. I thought that was a beautiful uh, image. God, he's walking everywhere. There is nowhere that he can't, the world is crowded with him. He is always right there. Jonah tried to get away. Paul tried to, he, you can't. He's always going to chase you down. He is always there with you. And then we look at verse number 12. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. In other words, verse number 12 is saying, he is so committed to being with you that neither darkness nor death can separate you from his love. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, it says this, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nothing, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is our hope in life and death, that we will be with him forever. And as we look forward to that day, we're reminded even today, he is with us today forever. All right, let's pick up with verse number 13. Let's read 13 through 18, this third section. Let's read verses 13 through 18 out loud together. Y'all ready? All right, here we go. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. All right, take about a minute and a half, two minutes. Work through those six verses, verses 13 through 18, and then we'll jump back in in just a minute. Verses 13 through 18. What stands out to you in those six verses? Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, Mark. Say it again. Yeah, God knew everything about you even before you were born. 
when we look at beginning verse number 13, that word for, it connects the beginning. Here's who God is. He is transcendent. He's huge. He has all knowledge. And here we get down to the intimate. Now, this is the third theological term I want us to see this morning, and this is the word omnipotence. Everybody say omnipotence. Again, we see omni, all, potence, potent being power. God is all powerful. And here's the truth. Here's the implication from that truth. If God is sovereign, he is sovereign over all things. We say, oh man, God is sovereign. Man, that's, that's a great, and that's true. But sometimes we claim God's sovereignty when we need it or when we think it's good for us or when we want to blame God for something. Oh man, God's sovereign. So I don't, if he's sovereign, he's sovereign over all things. All things God is sovereign for. So verse number 13, for you formed my inward parts. That word inward parts right there, it literally is the word kidneys. It, and a lot of times when we see words like that in the Old Testament, he talks about heart or he talks about uh, your guts or that, it's actually the word kidneys. He's saying even down to the way that you are formed inside your inward parts, he knows all of these things. He knows you inwardly. And so, and Margaret said it, he, all, all of you, not just the things that you're going to do, not just the good things, he knows every part of you down to the inside of your being. Verse number 14 it says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That word fearfully is not, he's, he's not scared of you and you're not scared of him. It's reverence and awe. I am, I am made to worship. Again, we have this word wonderful. We are wonderfully made. That word wonderfully there means um, it's outside of human comprehension. That's, it, it, it blows our minds. It's striking that God knows every single part of who we are. We are wonderfully made. Then look at verse number 15. My frame was not hidden from you. That word frame is, it's our physical being. At the moment of conception, we talked about life in the womb. At the moment of conception, a single strand of DNA, of your DNA, contains more than a thousand volumes worth of information. And every single one of those volumes has 600 pages. And every single one of those pages has 500 words on it. That's a lot of information. At the moment of conception, God says, here's who you are. God determines that. It's from him that he knows your frame. He says there in the secret, where are we? Verse number 15. I was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. What's that secret place that you were formed in? your mother's womb. He says, from that point, that's where I knew you. We keep going intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Now, what comes to mind when you hear something being formed in or from the depths of the earth? Any takers? I'm reminded of Genesis 2-7. Adam and Eve, right? Where was Adam formed from? The depths of the earth. He was formed from the dust. Genesis 2, 7 says this. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. God has known you. He has given you a purpose from the very beginning. Every single person from Adam and Eve. He knows you well. So you're formed from the depths of the ground. Verse number 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. That unformed substance is your personality. So here he's saying, even the parts that nobody's ever going to see, what happens in my mind. So uh, whether I'm an extrovert or introvert, you knew that. Uh, whether I was going to be a risk taker or play it safe, 
You formed that in me. You knew all of these things about me. You knew what my, uh, what my disc assessment was going to be, or what my strength finder said, or what my Enneagram number was. Whatever it is, God knew that about you. He formed you. He has all knowledge. But then if you look at the second half of verse number 16, in your book were written, every one of them, the days were formed for me. The days were formed for who? For the people of God? For the church? For South Point? Put your name right there. They were formed for fill in the blank. Your days were formed for you. Singular, not plural, singular. They were formed for you by the creator of the universe. No matter what your origin story is, you are not an accident. No matter if your parents, if you were a, a surprise to them, surprise, no matter, if, um, no matter how they treated you, no matter how you got here, there is a purpose for your life that has been given to you by God. Here's the second thing I want us to see. You're like, man, we're only at point number two. Don't worry, we'll go quick. The second thing I want you to see is this. There is something significant about you Fill in the blank. Stuart, Margaret, Bobby, Dickie, Luke, Ronnie, Lane. There is something significant about you that is distinct from anyone else. I know for me, I've got this idea of here's, here's who I would love to be. Here's my ideal standard of uh, preacher, of knowledge, of communicator, of fashion, of riches, of whatever it is. If I could just be that person, then I feel like I would have arrived. In reality, what Psalm 139 says, even if I were to reach that, I'm failing to reach the potential that God has given me. He didn't give me someone else's plan. He doesn't have a blueprint for, you know, 20% of the pipe. Ah, it's the same blueprint. No, there's a blueprint that's different for every single one of us. That's our desire is to fulfill his purpose for us. Not our purpose that looks like somebody else. Verse number 17. He says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. They are weighty. They are mighty. And he says, they are more numerous than the, the number of grains of sand on the beach. Did a little bit of math this week. Uh, if you're like me, uh, you have to go to the beach every year. Amen? Yeah, gosh, I love it. Uh, if you were to stand, wherever you stand on the beach this year, look as far as you can this way. And as far as you can this way, wherever your eyes, your, your, wherever the, the horizon catches up with the sand on the beach, imagine that's your life, okay? A lot of sand. If I were to take a gallon full of sand, a gallon of that sand, that is the number of thoughts that God has for you every single second. Every single second, a gallon of sand, which I did a little bit of math on that too, which is 600 million grains of sand give or take. So if that's the span of your life, and if you live to be 80 years old, average in America, if you live to be 80 years old, every single second of your life, that span, God is having 600 million thoughts about you. You. Here's the third thing that I want us to see, is that self-hate, comparison, and self-condemnation are sins against God, not primarily yourself. 
Self-hate, comparison to others, and self-condemnation are primarily sins against God. Not primarily sins against yourself. When your internal voice begins agreeing more with what Satan says about you than what the word of God says about you, then you're accusing God of not being good. God says that he formed you in his image and has given you a purpose and thinks about you deeply, richly, mightily, all the time. And he's with you. And he knows what you're thinking right now. And he knows what you said this past week. And he knows what you looked like, looked at. And he knows what you look like too. He knows all those things. And he still loves you. Verse number 18, the last one in this section. If I were to count them, all the thoughts of him, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. This, this word awake here, he's not just talking about waking up in the morning. We've already seen that morning uh, from the dawn to the dusk. What he's saying here is even if I die, because we, we saw this uh, a couple of weeks ago um, in the scriptures, we saw this in the, in the book of John. Whenever it says that someone was asleep, it means they were a believer who had died because they were going to be awakened. If it says that someone was dead in the ground, they were not a believer. All throughout the scripture, that's 100% of the time. So it says here, I am in Christ, and when I awake from death, I am still going to be with you. Here's the fourth truth this morning, is that the power of God is greater than death. The power of God is greater than death. And we see that clearly, our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the same way that Christ was taken from death, being in the ground for days to life, and then appearing before his disciples for 40 days, still doing miracles, still cooking fish on the side of the lake, and then he's, he's raised up into heaven where he's sitting today as a human in the presence of God. Where Jesus is today, as sure as we know that, we have hope for our own resurrection back to life. Even when I awake, even on the other side of this life, even on the other side of death, I am still in the presence of God. That's a great power. The power of the resurrection is ours to claim this morning. All right, last section, verses 19 through 24. Take about a minute, look at these. This is gonna, you're like, hey, what? Where did these verses come from? So it's just kind of weird. It's like David's just driving along and just boom, like, you know, makes a turn real hard. But uh, look at verses 19 through 24. Actually, let's, let's read these together out loud, y'all, right? They say this. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. All right, you've got a minute, minute and a half. Look through that, see what stands out, see what's significant, what you have a question about. And then we'll jump back into this last section.
Okay, these last six verses, what stands out to you in those? Yes, sir. Yeah. Kind of crazy, huh? Yeah. Yes, sir. Remove the enemies from me. And some would even say this is the context of the entire chapter. Is David was under attack as he wrote this. Yeah, Richard said, yeah, there, there, are, there are folks who hate God who are working against him. And David is saying, God, I'm with you, facing the enemy. And when we understand the presence of God, here David is saying, yeah, yeah, you're with me and I'm with you. I'm going to stand on truth. I'm standing on your truth. I'm with you. I'm on your side. Yeah, we see, we see the fifth thing here uh, is that Yahweh is so close. The Lord is so close. God is so close to me that when I'm attacked... He's attacked. When I'm attacked, God is right there with you, and he is attacked also. Uh, in Acts chapter 9, remember when, um, when Jesus appears to Paul, uh, at the time Saul, he appears to Saul on the road to Damascus. What does Jesus say to Saul? He doesn't say, why are you attacking and tormenting and torturing those people? He doesn't say the church. He doesn't say, why are you killing Christians? He says, why are you persecuting me. Now, was Paul actually, actually persecuting Jesus, who at, the, at that time was at the right hand of the Father? He was persecuting the church. But what Jesus is saying to Paul right there is, if you're persecuting them, you're persecuting me. We're one and the same. I am the head of this church. They're my body. They're my hands and my feet. He is one with us. We are created from a, from a place of love. Our inception is from the Trinity, which is perfect love. He says, I want to, you to be with me. We are made from a place of love. We are made for love. And Jesus says, yeah, and I'm going to love you enough to bring you into this love. It's beautiful. He's with us. In this context, we see here, oh, that you would slay the wicked, those who oppose you. He says in verse number 21, do I not hate those who hate you? In other words, do I not reject those who oppose you? In other words, what he's saying is, I want to oppose and reject the enemy of God so that the kingdom of God can move forward. He's saying those who stand in your way, they are my enemies. He's not saying, hey, we got here and we, we should go out here and hate people. What he's saying is, we, we hate the enemy, we hate their tactics, and we realize that the people that we're looking at face-to-face -face are victims of the enemy, of the devil, of Satan. They're his prisoners. And so we don't go out here, oh, you don't like Jesus? I hate you. He's saying, man, I hate that they are victims of the enemy. That's what he's saying. Because they are standing in opposition to the kingdom of God. 
Oh, that they would fall in love with the creator, that one who knows them. So we look at verses 19 through 22. Oh, that you would slay the wicked. They speak against you with malicious intent. These are your enemies. I hate them. Do not, I loathe them. Verse 22, I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. And then in verse 23, it switches back. Notice what he says in verse 23. So those, those four verses before, he hates the enemy of God. And verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Does God already know your heart? Yeah. So when he says, search me, he's actually saying, I want you to reveal to me what's happening inside of me. You already know it, but I want you to search me and then tell me about it. The searching is for my good. And I don't want there to be any inkling of the enemy inside of my soul. That what we just talked about in these four verses, 19 through 22, I don't want there to be any part of me that is a victim or a prisoner of the enemy. I hate that. I want that to pale in comparison to my love for Christ. The sixth thing that we see is that we cannot know our hearts unless they are revealed to us by God. We cannot know our hearts unless they are revealed to us by God. When, when I think search, when, when it says search me, um, there's, there's a, uh, I, my birthday was a few weeks ago, and I've got the, uh, the registration, you know, I got it in the mail. It's still in my front seat of my truck, even right now. My, my sticker is on the back of my truck. Uh, right now it still says May uh, 2022, okay? The other day a, a cop gets behind me. I'm going through McDonough. You know that feeling? Uh, like if you're driving, like, oh, man, a cop's behind me. You check your speedometer. You're like, ah. And I'm like, man, I hope he doesn't see my sticker. Now, I know if he pulls me over, um, that he's going to, um, I'm going to say, here's my registration, I haven't put it on, probably not going to, but my heart's still racing. You know what I mean? Because you're afraid of the cop finding something out. I also have a headlight out on my truck now that I think about it. I got to get this taken care of real fast. Um, so, but when we think about search me, oftentimes it's in a negative connotation. It's like if you go to fly, even somewhere that's, if, if the TSA agent says, hey, we're going to search your bag, you're all, oh man, did I leave anything in there? You know, oh, did I bring something back? Oh, is there, is, is there a knife in my, whatever it is. You know, you're, your heart kind of skips a beat. Here, he's not saying, hey, search me because I'm trying to find you guilty. He's saying, search me so I can know if there's any part of me that is not surrendered to you, any part of me that is not being redeemed, any part of me that I'm not laying on the altar and say, I want to get rid of this. He's saying, search me so that I can know. Lastly, God cannot heal what we conceal. God cannot heal what we conceal. The psalmist says, search me so I can bring that before you. Let me know about it. The desire of our Father is for relational beauty. We are made out of relational beauty. We are made for the sake of connection. Uh, maybe, maybe this morning, um, maybe you're like me and you feel like a failure. Anybody there time to time, week to week, year to year, you feel like a failure. Maybe some this morning, you're like, man, I don't feel like a failure. I feel, I feel successful in whatever it is. If we take our definition of what success is a lot of times, we're actually failing even in that definition of success, we are failing to accomplish the purposes that God has given us. 
We think, man, I'm successful in the world's eyes. My bank account looks successful. My friend group looks successful. My social media, it, my retirement fund, it looks successful. And can I tell you that this morning, your success that you see may actually be a failure in the light of God. He has given you a purpose, one that's greater than you can see with your eyes. He has called you. He has given you your days. He has written those out. So the invitation this morning is not an invitation to guilt. It's not an invitation to say, take all this stuff and just flush it down the toilet. Maybe that might be it. But the invitation is what we just saw at the very end in verse 24. The invitation is into the way everlasting. The invitation is into life. The invitation is into being fully known and fully loved. The Father knows you. He is with you. And he loves you to the point of sending Jesus to be known in the womb by Mary, to, be, to live perfectly. And then it pleased the Father to crush him for your sake so that you could be fully known in your sin and in Christ's righteousness. You are fully loved. His death proves that every single life is valuable from the womb all the way to the grave that he rose to conquer. So this morning as we participate in this meal of communion, we're reminded of what Christ has done. We are taking the bread and dipping it into the juice, the bread representing his body that was broken for us so that we could be made whole, the juice representing his righteousness which covers us. And we don't just, we don't just look at the bread, we don't just look at the juice, but we ingest it it becomes one with us. And it's a reminder this morning. And it's a representation that Jesus Christ has become one with us. That's the depth of his love for us. So the invitation this morning is the same as what the psalmist has here, to search me. So as we participate in this meal and there are stations set up around the room, there's a gluten-free station set up back here, I would plead with you as you hold that bread dipped in that juice that you would ask the Lord to search you. Is there any part of your heart or your soul that is not completely surrendered to him? And in faith, like we saw the Apostle Paul say, in faith, cry out to him. He's with you. He already knows it. He promises to forgive. He promises to redeem. He promises forgiveness because of his blood. So this is a time for us to confess, but it's also a time for us to celebrate as we look forward to even after this life, we are going to be with Christ for all of eternity. Father, I pray now that you would send your spirit, that he would move on hearts and lives, that you would search us, that you would reveal, that you would bring into the light the things that we want to keep in the darkness. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.